Let us pray. May your word, gracious one, be expounded, animated through this servant of yours. May the words which flow from these lips be your words for your people on this day. And having heard them, may we be transformed more into the image of the Christ we serve, and in whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If I were to identify a theme that emerges from the readings this morning, particularly the words from Proverbs and the Epistle reading and the Gospel, it is that words matter. And wise men and women choose words carefully and use them with wisdom. For words have the power to create, words have the power to destroy. The old adage that most of us grew up with and probably still hear from time to time taunting on the playground, sticks and stones may break my bones, but biggest lie that's ever been told, (laughs) one of them. Words do have the power to change us, to inspire us, to tear out our hearts. Words are very powerful. And James tells us that the tongue from which these words flow is an untamable part of our being. Paints somewhat a hopeless picture. But consistent with James is this idea that we are to be men and women who are consistent in our lives. If you look at his letter, put it into context, in the first chapter of James, James talks about how that someone who is double-minded, who is both faithful and doubtful at the same time, is unstable in all of their ways. In the second chapter of James, he talks about how that our faith is to not simply be expressed through words, but lived out through our actions. Faith without works is dead. If we say to a brother or sister who is in need, be warm and well-fed, but do nothing about their needs, what good is it? consistency. And here in our reading for this morning, in James chapter 3, can salt water and fresh water flow from the same spring? It's important for us, James says, to more and more become men and women who are consistent in word and deed. Very important. It is also important that we understand our words do affect others. The gospel reading for this morning, Jesus asks the disciples, very familiar passage of Scripture. We've heard Mark's account this morning. We've heard Matthew's account in, in the past. Who do people say that I am? And my first thought about this is, Jesus, why, why do you want to know? What does it matter what people think about you? Well, it matters because the way people see us influences how they relate to us. And how I understand someone sees me affects how I relate with that person. Does that make sense? Jesus asked the question, who do people say that I am? The answer, some say John the Baptist. All right, so if I'm Jesus and I know that there are people out there who see me as John the Baptist come back to life, how do you think they're going to relate to me? 
John the Baptist was this wild man out in the wilderness, right? Eating locusts and wild honey and saying some very harsh things to the the scribes and the Pharisees. Beheaded. Come back to life. If I think this is John the Baptist come back to life, I think this is a man who has power over life and death. There might be some fear here. One of the prophets, they said. You might be one of the prophets. How did the people of the Old Testament that we read about relate to the prophets? Stoned them. Okay, they did that. But the the, the prophets often represented a message of warning from God. The news that God was not pleased. A call to some kind of action. And again, there might be fear on the part of the people if they saw Jesus as one of the prophets. Jesus wanted to know, who is it that people say, I am? Then he turns to the disciples and asks, who do you say that I am? And Peter, I don't think he fully understood or appreciated what it was he was saying, but he said, you are the Messiah. If Jesus thinks they see me truly as the Messiah, they will relate to me at a completely different level. And he goes on to describe how those who would follow him would leave everything. He begins to talk about what it would mean for him to be the Messiah if they saw him as the Messiah. And then we all remember Peter, bolstered probably by this seal of approval that he's received from Jesus, begins to tell Jesus that there has to be another way. And Jesus looks at Peter and uses words that are a little unsettling. Get behind me, Satan. Have you ever been called Satan? How would you relate? How would you respond if someone were to describe you as Satan? Jesus got Peter's attention. Words are powerful. Words can affect us very deeply. Back to James for just a minute. In his encouragement to be consistent in our speech, don't let blessing and curse come out of the same mouth. He says they do, but this should not be. Have you ever been in a relationship with someone who would bless you to your face? And curse you behind your back? It's not very fun, is it? I've been called a lot of things since I arrived here four and a half years ago. (laughs) Probably some things to my face and other things behind my back. Some formal titles I've possessed in these four years. I've had four formal titles in these four years. I was the assistant for congregational development when I arrived here, and we related in that way. I soon became the senior pastoral associate, which I'm still trying to figure out exactly what that is, but the bishop attached a little pet name to that as well, Lead Puppy. That was not an official title, but that was how he referred to me. And then I became the deacon in charge under special circumstances, and now the priest in charge under special circumstances, and that relationship evolves. 
And I find myself from time to time looking at just how that title, whatever it is I am known by, affects the way that I relate with all of you. Titles mean things. The way that people, the way that people address you says something about the way they relate to you. A week ago last Friday, I received another title for the first time in my life. Grandpa. And I was handed by the mother of my grandchild, I was handed my granddaughter, Ashley Grace, with words something like, Hi, Grandpa, meet your granddaughter. And as I am receiving this precious gift from my daughter-in-law, and I look down at this child, one of the first thoughts I have as I look at this child, and her eyes open and she, she looks up at me, aside from wondering, you know, do you have any idea what you're looking at? I think, She does not know me at all. She knows absolutely nothing about me. And I think, you know, what a blessing that is, you know, (laughs) that she knows nothing about me. But I see this child and immediately begin to flash forward. I don't know if any of the rest of you have this in your your experience with those who are grandparents have this experience. And I'm not sure I had it with my kids. I probably did, but I've forgotten it. Here's 18 years flashed through my head. She's going to be graduating from high school one of these days. And then she's off to college. And how am I going to invest in this child? How can I be the kind of grandpa that not only she will be proud of, but that will make a difference in her life? And I think about the words that I use in relating to her as she goes throughout her life. I I was reading recently a book by Parker Palmer, Let Your Life Speak. And he describes a gift that he is giving to his granddaughter at the writing. Knowing that the closer we are to the place of our, our birth, the closer we are to the original intent, the original design that God placed in us when we're knit together in our mother's womb. The closer we are to that, the more accurate the picture is of who God created us to be. And he said life confuses us. We, we go through all kinds of circumstances and situations that take us away from that person we were designed to be. So he's, he's writing his observations of his granddaughter as she grows. Passions that he sees in her. Traits that he sees in her. And he says, I'm going to hang on to it until she gets to be in her 20s, maybe early 30s, when she's wrestling with who am I and why am I here? That this gift might help her to rediscover the clues that were in her from very early in her life. I thought, yes, I can do that. And maybe I can save a dollar. What, a dollar a day for 18 years make a difference in her college education? You know, all of these thoughts. Responsibility that goes along with the title. 
in reality, I haven't done anything to earn the title other than I fathered a son who is now a father himself. Haven't done anything special. Last Friday, my day off, two days ago, I drove to Bakersfield. Cindy, my fiance, has several grandchildren, so she's experienced at this. I'm a rookie. Her grandson, Kai, is in the second grade. And it was grandparents' day at his second grade school. Cindy had to work. Other grandparents were not available. So I'm there in their stead. I show up at the school just about the time the bus pulls in. All of the kids file out of the bus. Kai gets off of the bus. Doesn't see me at first. Takes off toward his class. Then he looks around and he sees me. And he comes running. And he grabs my hand. And in a flurry of activity, we go to the library. He shows me the library. We go to the cafeteria. He shows me the cafeteria. We go out onto the playground. He shows me the tetherball. Tells me about how he beats the girls in tetherball at recess. And then we go into his classroom. And we see his desk. And we see, we meet his teacher. And he, to his classmates that are passing by, Multiple times, he stopped him and he said, Hey, Kale, this is my grandpa. And my first thought was, No, it's not. But then I thought, It really doesn't matter whether by blood I am or not. In the eyes of this Precious young man, I have earned a place to be introduced as his grandpa. And for that moment, that title opened my eyes to a different realm of relationship with Kai. And not exactly the same thoughts that happened a week earlier with the 18 years of Ashley Grace's life flashing through my head. But still with a sense of responsibility. And wanting not to damage in any way the beautiful gift that he gave to me in his classroom that day. Words matter. I wonder if, in fact, the way we refer to people, the titles we bestow upon people, affects the way we relate with them. I wonder if some of the more difficult people in our life who we assign titles to that we might not even want to repeat here in this space, I wonder if the difficulty in relationship is not tied at least in part to how we refer to those people, to the labels we place upon them. And were we to simply shift and see each other truly as God sees us, precious children, 
one-of-a-kind masterpieces from the mind and heart of God. Or as Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 25, that five of you've done to the least of these you've done unto me, if we could see in the eyes of everyone we meet, Jesus himself. I wonder how our relationships might change. And I wonder if the simple gesture of being respectful towards someone who might not even deserve it, if that gesture alone might change the nature of our relationship. For many of us, we act out our feelings. But in truth, it's just as possible for us to act our way into feeling. If I act in a gracious way, I may begin to feel gracious. If I act in a spiteful way, I will feel more spiteful. If on the broader scheme of things on planet Earth, if we were to truly regard one another as brothers and sisters, if we were to regard one another in ways that speak of peace, if we might begin to see the end of war in this world, I doubt it will happen before then. But you and I have the opportunity to, by our words, change something in this world. Words have the power to create. Words have the power to destroy. One quick note from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4. In talking about our communication one with another, he says, Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Only that which is useful for building up, not destroying. Try it. You might find that the people in your world you have the most trouble with will be changed, not immediately, but over time, as you relate to them in this way. The words of the psalm, the end of the psalm for this morning, Psalm 19, may it be our prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen.